was uh, at the second pastorate. Uh, we were in uh, a place called Loganton for about five and a half years. And uh, uh, the church we were sent from, uh, pastor there had been talking to me about coming on as the assistant. And so we prayed about it. And we, we thought it would be a good move for us to be able to go forward with some uh, some things and to grow and to mature, you know. And so we went. And the, the you know, first year we're there, um, pretty much is the year that my dad passed away. And that was uh, kind of a real crush on me, really affected me. And uh, and we went from the senior pastor to an assistant. So my role in ministry completely changed. So instead of doing what I'm doing here, you know, I sat where you are and watched. And that's when my wife is tapping my leg saying, calm down, you know, because I just wanted to be up there preaching, you know. And, and that was hard. And uh, so about two years into it, I'm sending resumes out because I'm ready to get back preaching. And uh, I guess it was the Lord's will to keep me there for us there for five and a half years. And when I was ready to leave year two, you know, and this is all, I guess, the Lord, because yeah, we would have been somewhere else instead of here had that door opened up. So we believe we're here and in God's will. But when you want to do something and you can't do it, you kind of feel like you're in prison, right? You, you know, uh, talk about your position, your job, and what you're doing. And for a man, uh, what we do on a weekly basis is really important to us. Um, not just as a, a breadwinner, but what we do day in and day out. I was able to teach at, you know, the school, and, and uh, that was a good thing. But I was miserable. I was just miserable. And it went on and went on, and there was no escape. You kind of felt trapped in that prison we talked about last week, the prison of the soul. And I began to get into the depression. And even though I was pastoring, I wasn't pastoring. I was just doing what I do. You know, I go to the hospital and visit, and, you know, I preached Wednesday night some, and this, but my heart wasn't in it. Mark just kind of went drifting. And through the process of time, uh, I found, my, found myself kind of out there in that wilderness, wandering around as a young preacher, and you just start going through the, all the negativities. And I was at a point where I was ready to quit ministry. I was, in, in my mind, in my heart, I had already quit. But I was there, just doing it. Did you ever find yourself, you still come and you do your Sunday school thing and you do your church thing, but your heart's not there. You're in the wilderness and you just are doing it kind of out of duty. And that's where I was at. If somebody would have come up to me and offered me a good job at that time, I probably would have taken it. I was done in my mind. And my preacher, uh, he said, hey, there's a conference I want you to go out to, and you're going to be going out by yourself. And I'm like, okay, sure. So I got in a plane, flew out to Kansas, and went to a missions conference out there. And I'm just coasting along, doing that thing that I do, until a missionary 
who most people who were there, you know, he was like the guy before the main speaker. You know, so he was doing that little 20 minute kind of fill in. We not not that that's not important. It is. And I'm going to show you how important it really is because we do that. You know, it's just like getting introduced and then we have a keynote speaker. So this guy's there and everybody's kind of yawning and doing their thing. It's in a church of thousands of people. And I'm in the very back of the church, of course, you know, just slipping in and slipping out, doing that thing that you do. And he had no idea that he, that missionary, was speaking to me. And the text that he chose was Psalm 143. And as he began to walk through that text, it is as though he was able to open up my chest and see my heart, and open up my my uh, skull and see my brain. It was as though he knew everything about me. And he walked through and reminded me of something that I knew it, but I had forgotten it. And what I had forgotten is that I had an enemy. And that the enemy was destroying me. And he was trying to kick me out of ministry to give up on everything. And it was that text that we have read that changed my life. And I can honestly say I wouldn't be here if it was not for that preacher that missionary that literally read his message. It was actually dry. There weren't a lot of illustrations, no stories that I remember. All that it was was Bible. Pulling right out exactly what I needed. This chapter I have given to many in this room. And I've explained a little bit of that background. And I have walked through this text with many people that have gone into uh, deep depressions to a point where you could care less if you're around people. You just want your dungeon, your little den, get me into the darkness and just let me alone. Some of you have never experienced that. I wish I could say I've never experienced that also. You may go through a life when everything is just great, you know, death, you know, problems like that that are serious. You work through it, and you're, you're all, I'm all good, so good. And some can do that. Some are stronger than others. But some of us, uh, we are weaker in our minds. And not everything is just cut. My grandmother was probably, in her mind, to me, one of the strongest people I ever knew. I mean, when my pap died, she never cried. It's like, okay, we move on with life. You know, every time things, big things would happen, it's like, okay, well, this is part of life. Let's move on. What are we going to do now? You know? Um, and she was like, like that um, to, to the end. I mean, things didn't worry her. And uh, not of all, all of us are like that, though. Um, it not, wasn't that she didn't care. It's just everybody handles things different. So this year, we've been dealing a lot with the mind. We've talked about fears. We've talked about anxieties. We've gone through the Philippians 4. We've talked about some rejoicing. We've talked about a lot of different subjects, understanding the love of God that He has for us. And we need to love Him back as a result of that. And that takes away the, the fears that, that we can have. And we talked last week about no man caring for my soul, and yet we understand that our, our God does. And now we get into this chapter. And this was a very special one to me. Because you may be here this day, 
And you may be thinking, I'm here, but I'm not. I'm just coasting. You may be here and you've given up on your family. You're there, but you're not there. Your careers, you're there, but you're really not there. You're just coasting along until something better comes along. You're looking for something, and maybe you've even given up on looking. And you're in a wilderness. We were in uh, Burkino Faso a number of years ago. It's just, just south of the Sahara Desert. And while we were there, there are three temperatures. Hot, hotter, and hottest. We were there somewhat close to the rainy season. And uh, I remember being able to see a couple places where there was a little bit of water laying on the ground. And they said, yeah, it's there. But when we were there, um, you know, it would get up to about 114 degrees in, in the daytime. But, it, you know, they say, well, it's not humid. I don't care. 114 degrees is 114 degrees. And it is hot. Matter of fact, they say, go to Arizona, it's dry heat, you feel a lot better. I don't care, 114 degrees, we were standing outside, and you are literally drinking as fast as you can because you're sweating, and you don't even know it because it's evaporating off of your skin that fast. It's like you just put your head in the oven. There's no humidity. It's total dry. And literally, I'm thinking, I'm standing outside here, you know, we were looking at some, a partial ground that the coolies were looking at maybe buying and, and putting a church on. And I, and I kind of went like this. I'm like, and it was as dry as could be because you just don't perspire. It's, it's evaporating. And these people were doing anything to build or to create a cistern or some way to hold water and to get water. Water was their livelihood. If you have water, you could take care of your plants. You could then grow things because nothing's going to grow there because it's dry. The soul can sometimes be like that. And if you've noticed, when it's really dry, it gets hard. And then when you do put water on it, you know what happens is it starts running off and it doesn't even saturate. And sometimes we can be like that. We can be so dry and so hardened that the penetration of the Word of God, which is water, it just kind of runs off. But the longer it's there, the more it saturates, it begins to penetrate and to get inside. And that's what had to happen with your preacher, is the water of the Word had to start saturating me again. And there had to be a transition that happened in my life. I wonder if there are some deacons, some trustees, some Sunday school teachers, a wanna, patch, choir. You're here, but you're not here. Your heart's not in it anymore because you've drifted. You're here. You're doing your duty. You're doing your duty. It is a time to do a heart search to see if you're in the wilderness and you're really all dried up. It's time to get the mind saturated. This chapter starts out with how it all begins. You begin to pray. And you start crying to God. And that's where it begins. Let's look at the text now. 
Verse number 1 says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In Thy faithfulness answer me, and in Thy righteousness. The faithfulness of God is an amazing thing to think of how faithful uh, He is in us. By the way, it's not because He believes in us. It's that He loves us. And He is faithful to us, but it's not because we're faithful to Him. It's because of mercy and grace that He extends this faithfulness. When you and I look at Israel and would say, boy, I would have given up on Israel, God didn't. When God could have given up on this church, He didn't because He was faithful. He didn't give up on your life because not your, that you're good. It's because He is faithful. And He says, Lord, give this supply because it comes from your faithfulness to me. Please answer me according to that and even in your own righteousness. Verse 2, enter not into judgment with thy servant. Now remember, this is David. You remember last week we talked about he is running from King Saul who is the enemy. And yet, he's the innocent one, but he's able to still recognize who he is and says, Lord, if you were to really look at me, you could judge me and count me as guilty right now. But Lord, please, I'm asking you, don't bring down the judgment right now. Because in the latter part of verse 2 explains it, for in thy sight, in God's sight, shall no man living be justified. You say, well, that seems to contradict with Romans and Galatians. And I understand, let's see within the text what he's trying to say. He is coming as, as the future king, if you will, of Israel, being attacked by the king of Israel without a cause, and yet he's not looking at his circumstances to justify himself. I'm the innocent one here. I'm the, I'm, I'm the good person in this whole story. He, he was able to go past that and to see the reality of his state before God. And when he compared himself to a holy, righteous God, he said, I'm guilty and you have every right to destroy me right now because you are righteous. You are the one that is just, not me. And so, Lord, right now, as I look at my life, and I look at the world, and I see mankind, no man can come to God and say, I am righteous. I'm good in myself. There is none righteous in and of themselves. In God's sight, as He views you and I, and even as David is trying to show you and I, in the depth of probably the most innocent state that a man could be proclaimed, he is saying, I am yet guilty before God. I am still a sinner. So where does this justification come into place? Let's look at Romans. We'll just read. I'm not going to make a lot of explanation. I think the Word of God will explain itself. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse number uh, 21. Romans 3.21, But now, the righteousness of God, without the law, is manifested, 
being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now follow me. The law and the prophets that man were looking at for their justification proclaimed nothing but guilt. Even the righteousness, verse 22, of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that do one thing, it says, that believe. You are not justified until faith. You believing in the Lord Jesus Christ for your sin, for your guilt, you say, God, I can't work my way. I can't do anything to justify myself. Jesus died and you believe for there is no difference uh, that is about the Jew or the Gentile. For all of sin come short of the glory of God. Verse 24, being justified freely by His grace. You have done nothing. It is a gift of God. It is a free thing that God has given to you. And it is given by the very grace of God through... In other words, something had to happen for this justification to come freely. But it is through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So Jesus' blood was shed on the cross for our sin. So we will be declared righteous. Whom God has set forth to be the propitiation, the mercy seat, through faith. Now notice this, in His blood. We cannot be saved apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. It is not just an act that Jesus performed. It is that His blood was shed to please the Father on our behalf. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. He tells us in Colossians, having made peace through the blood of His cross by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance, the toleration of God. To declare, verse 26, I say, at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just, and the justifier of Him that does one thing again, believeth in Jesus. Boy, this is clear, isn't it? Where is boasting then? In other words, how can we brag about anything? It is excluded. By what law? The law of works? No. But by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. He is the God of the Jews only. Is he the God of the Jews only? Nope. He is also of the Gentiles. Yes, the Gentiles also, seeing as one God, which shall justify the circumcision by faith, the uncircumcision through faith. Do we make make void the law through faith? No. God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. So we are saved, justified by the justifier, by faith in Jesus Christ. And it is not in our own selves, but it is the very finished work of the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary when the propitiation was done. That which pleased our God for the sin of the entire world. Those who by faith believe in that blood, that Jesus' blood was shed for you and I, that faith then makes you justified in God's sight. Our God is good. Back to Psalm 143. While you're turning there, my friend, if you were here and you thought by you going to church and putting five bucks in the offering plate and getting water on top of your head or getting baptized will get you into heaven, you are mistaken. 
You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't do for it. It is a free gift that comes from God to you. And God wants to save you just the way you are because if you've been boasting in what you could do for God and thinking that's going to get me in, you're going to go to hell. You're, you're, you're going to go to hell as a good person, you know, humanly speaking, because in God's sight, there are none good. So we are good because of what He has done for us. Verse, verse number 3 of Psalm 143. For the enemy has persecuted my soul, He has smitten my life down to the ground. He has made me to dwell in darkness as those that have been long dead. Verse 4, Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me, even my heart within me is desolate. Every part of his being was affected. The mind that we talked about last week, my life is down to the ground, the body. Then he talks about the spirit being overwhelmed, and even the heart is mentioned. So every part of his being was being affected by one person. It was the enemy. Now we know that Saul had many with him to try to kill David. And we understand that. But he says, the enemy. It is as though there was, there was a leader, there were a people that were going after him to tear him down. But it wasn't a day. It wasn't a couple of days. It was week in and week out. Week in and week out. Running to this cave. Running to this cave. Hiding here. Staying there. Trying to find a haven somewhere. The enemy. I want to remind us even though this is 9-11 and 10 years ago, uh, we had an enemy that have come at our ground and uh, hate this nation because of its values and what it stands for and who it stands with, which is Israel, that we are the bad guys and they would like to see us plummet and be destroyed and they believe that the world would be a better place without us. We understand what it's like to be hated. Uh, sometimes in the comfort of our little town it's hard for us to remember that there are literally people and nations that hate us and we understand that but folks this enemy here that we're talking about it's not Al-Qaeda it's not a people it's not the Arab people <clears throat> it's it's not through historical you know it's not Japan it's not Russia it's not Germany it's it's not you know Korea North Korea it's it's not these places we're not talking about those kind of battles we have a battle against the true enemy oh by the way the the enemy's not our politicians either we have to remind ourselves of that sometimes. We're blaming them for everything. Um, if, if this nation is going to turn around, by the way, it's not going to be because the politician, politicians uh, create legislation that we agree with. Um, it's if, if we, the people, get our hearts right. That's, that's how we're going to change this nation. Okay? And it's time for Christians to be Christians and act like Christians instead of idiots. 
okay? Just in case you're wondering how I feel about it, you know? <laughs> so, let's walk in the Spirit. And so, the enemy is not government. Our enemy is Satan. And sometimes we forget who the real enemy is. He hates you. He wants to see you as miserable as he possibly can. He would love to see you tormented and tortured. You and I think everything's, let's just tolerate each other. Let's just go get along and everybody be happy. It has never been like that since the fall of man. There has always been this divide of good and evil. The very first act after man's fall into sin that is recorded is a murder of a brother against a brother. As we're going to learn next week, this creation that God has because sin entered into it, it is not spiraling to the good. As Hebrews 1 says, this earth is like a, a, an old cloth that's getting older and older and older. It's not evolving better and better and better. Talk about that a little bit uh, tonight. <clears throat> this enemy that we have started in Genesis chapter 3, the recording of where Satan comes to, to Eve and deceives Eve. Adam also partakes of that fruit. And sin entered into the world. You say, well, no, it entered into those two. No, 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 no. The entire earth, this whole atmosphere, everything was affected through one enemy. And that enemy is ultimately the enemy of God. He wanted to be God. He was saying in his own heart and mind, being lifted up with pride, I will be like the Most High God. I'm going to be Him. And he defied God and took a third of the angels with Him. We know them now as demons. And that enemy has not given up its cause. It brought havoc and destruction and darkness, catastrophe to this old world. It's because he hated God, he hated his creation, and one way for Satan to get at the heart of God is to get after what God loves the most, and that's you and I. So that's why we are the focal point of Satan, is because he hates God, so therefore he has us in his cross arrows and wants to take us down. Because if he can tear you down, then it affects the heart of God. If he can rip your home to shreds, he affected the purpose that God has for the home. If he can take a church and divide it and, and, and chop it into pieces over preferences of carpet colors and how we do things and how we don't things, do things through the traditions of man, he'd be saying, thank you so much for, for doing this because now you're not going to be reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God has not been honored. He was one again. Because of the lack of forgiveness he talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, we're not ignorant of his, Satan's devices. To have people not forgive one another. And Satan says, 
Good going, Christian. Thank you for helping my cause. He's the enemy. And we forget sometimes. His hatred for the Savior was seen through a man who was the inner circle, one of the very chosen twelve, Judas Iscariot. It says that Satan entered into his heart. He sells off the Savior for just a little bit of money. In, you know, it would have been better that guy never would have been born. And yet Satan used him to go right after Jesus Christ to have him crucified. And I really, really see in there's some texts that are, that are deep. 1 Corinthians 2 and some other places. The princes of this world, had they known really what was going to happen, if they knew everything, they wouldn't have crucified him. Satan hates Jesus Christ. He hates us. He hates his creation. He hates missions. One place that Paul talks about it, First Thessalonians 2, he said, we would have come to you once and again, uh, even I, Paul, he said, but Satan hindered us. Just even targeting missions. So when we stop and we pull back, and we look at sometimes the overwhelming that is happening inside of us, how Satan can take the circumstances that are happening around your life to get our mind focused on them and off of God. He will take us in that spiraling, that slippery slope right down into destruction because Satan would love to destroy your life, your home, your church, your reputation with, with uh, this world. He'd like to destroy your relationship with God. If you're a Christian, He can't make you go to hell. But if you're lost, He's trying to blind your mind so that you won't believe the truth. God's trying to save. Satan is there hindering you from getting saved. He hates you. He wants you to go to a place where He is going to be someday. It's a place called hell. But God says, I love you. I don't want to save you. Listen to truth. Listen to truth. So as this soul, this mind is being persecuted, the body deteriorating, no food, no water. Once in a while some people will get out there and give him some sustenance, but most time he's just living off of whatever he could put into his mouth. He's dwelling in darkness. Remember, he was going from cave to cave Dark, damp, bats. <laughs> I don't bats there or not, but let's make it as gory as it can be. Okay? Rats and roaches and, you know, feeling them crawl across you when you're trying to cover up at night. And that's where he's at. And can you imagine in his mind, he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't I remember Samuel coming when I was a little kid? And like anointing my head with oil because I'm the next king of Israel. And here I am being hunted down like a deer going from this place to this place. It's just like nobody's caring for my soul. I'm all by myself. This doesn't seem to be the picture I had growing up. 
I had it all figured out a whole lot different than the way it's working out for me right now. Which we'll talk about in a moment. And then that verse 4, the spirit being overwhelmed. It's like the floodgates of negativity and problems came rushing down upon the Spirit, flooding it with every negativity that's possible. And even the heart begins to be desolate. It's just like there's no hope. You look everywhere, and it's like, where, where possibly can I, can I find some kind of hope? And it's just like, there's, there's nothing. Okay. Where if, if I were to stop here and say, you know, the message is over, we'd all walk out about as depressed as possible. <laughs> it's like, yeah, thanks, preacher, for really lifting me up here today. I'm really depressed and negative now. Well, let's get the answer. Verse 5. I remember. Now stop. Everything to here and now, he, we have been dealing with. The enemy is, is tangible. It's there. He can see the overwhelming spirit. My body is deteriorating. Everything is there. But now he remembers not what he is now, but what he once had. He remembers the days of old. Keep your finger there. Look with me to Psalm 34. Kind of neat verses. Psalm 34. Verse 4. Psalm 34, verse 4. I sought the Lord, and He heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto Him, and were lightened. Their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his trouble. You know what we do? We, we get it involved with the here and now and we forget what God has done in the past. Christians, has God ever answered your prayers in the past? Why do we forget that when we're in the midst of another negative circumstance that we now have to trust and pray to God for? And we forgot the huge mountaintop experience victory that we once had because we needed the, the, the rent paid or the house payment, didn't know how it was going to get done, and then you get this money and it's there and it's paid. It's like, wow, God, you're awesome. And then we forget it because the next time it's due, we're thinking, oh, this is horrible. This is just horrible. What are we going to do? Maybe the same thing that you did when you had victory. How about we pray again? Trust Him. All those necessities that, that are in our life to do. And so we start looking at what He had done or has done in the past. Past answered prayers. Remember, past answered prayers. It will take you then and bring hope in your current situation that you feel overwhelmed. Remember what He has done personally in your life. And this is where I could talk for an hour about times where we were just hurting. Negative things that were happening, and yet God worked it all together for good. And at the time, we didn't see it. But the conclusion was, there it is. 
Next point. He says, um, I'm back to Psalm 143. I apologize. Next point. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the work of thy hands. Now that really personalizes something that God is personally involved with, with his, his creation, with his hand. Keep your finger there. Look at Psalm 8 with me. And we're going to be making these points very quick. I want to try to get you out timely because last week I was way over time. And you were very gracious not to leave. But sometimes your preacher gets a little excited about what he had been studying all week. So if I worked a job and didn't have so much time to study, you know, the messages would be condensed and a lot shorter. Okay, I'm going to fast forward into Psalm 8. And verse number 3. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? You know what David was reflecting on? Creation. The works of the hand of God. Therefore, next week, we are having a answers in Genesis about God creating. Timing is wonderful with God. So now we have the chance to really get a scientific view, science, true understanding, true knowledge of how we got here, not the myths of man, not things that man has conjured up in his mind to say, let's forget God and let's see how evolution could do this. And we're going to actually have answers. And you and I as, as Christians, when we stop and we see, oh my word, I may lose my job. Well, the God that said, mm, let's make some moon and stars with a little finger here, I think He can handle a job for you. When we see the vastness of who our God is by the power of His creation, the, not the power of His creation, the power of God creating these things, we are capable of saying, wow, God, You're really big. And this problem that I am overwhelmed with, this enemy that's trying to get me, You made him. You're over top of Satan. There is nothing that Satan is ever allowed to do without God's permission. Mark it. Look at the book of Job. Look at the revelation. Look at the tribulation period. You say, yes, Satan is going amok. He's just doing all of these things. Oh, no, no. Not unless God allows it. Because this is all God's revelation. God determining what He is doing in this nation and around the world. His creation. Meditate on God's work. Um, get out of your office. Get out from in front of your big screen TV. Turn the stupid computer off. Leave your cell phone at home. You, you, can, you can actually live a little while without Facebook. Okay? Your friends will still love you if you don't get right back to them that very moment. And just go out and walk. Go somewhere where they actually have trees growing. Get out there at night and you just sit there and try to count the stars. And you look at what God has created. And then you'll see yourself in light of God.
that even though you are just a little, little piece of sand in the seashore, you are important to God. Stretch forth your hands. I've got to walk through them. The next thing is stretch forth your hands in prayer. We don't do that as Baptists. We're not allowed to do it. Somebody made that rule up a long, long time ago. I don't know who did it, but it was just like you're not allowed to do that anymore. Well, guess what? I do. My wife does. We lift our hands up to our God, and it is in a time of prayer. You've got your preacher's approval. It's okay because it's like in the Bible. You stretch them out to God as though you are receiving from Him. You begin to thirst after God as a dry land wants water. When you are there and you're all dried up and you need the nourishing, you remember the Word of God is His water for you. And you begin to saturate your mind with the Word of God. Happened to me a couple years ago, folks. I mean, I was just bummed again. I was just down and negative. And you stop and say, what did you do? I mean, I was down, you know. And and I'm like, okay, what do you preach to everybody? Okay, pray and read your Bible. Hey, Carl, why don't you just practice what you preach for a change? And so I went down and prayed for a little while. And I opened up my Bible. And I started in the Psalms. And I have no idea how long I read But I read, and I read, and I read. And then when I was tired, I kept on reading. And I read 30-some chapters. I don't know how many it was. And I finally got it. And I closed my Bible, and I said, God, thank you for that one. You know what I remembered? David, like me and like you, have enemies, and we have problems. But God is our shield, He is our strong tower that we run into. He cares for my soul. He's going to work in my life. And my faith needs to increase. And I sat and said, well, this is not that hard at all, is it? And I was okay. Because I read the Bible. Thirst after Him. Get to know Him. Lift up your soul to God. Flee to God. Hide yourself in Him. Seek God's will. Seek His leading. All of that is in this chapter to the very end. And once you seek His will and His leading, you'll see that in verse 10, Teach me to do Thy will, for Thou art my God. Thy Spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. You stop and you say, you know what? I've been in control of my life and wow, this has been a mess. Lord, it's time for you to leave me. It's time for me to just accept your will. And if, Lord, your will for me right now is, I'm battling cancer. If your will for me is, I just lost a daughter. Your will for me is, I'm going through some hardships here. Lord, leave me in it. And when you are there secure, safe, in the will of God... It doesn't matter what man's going to do to you. It's not going to matter what happens to you. What matters is that you're in the will of God. And that is the best, safest place to be. There was a guy in a church, he's here. I remember talking to him, he had lost his job. And uh, he's in a management position. The higher they are, the harder they fall, you know. 
it's, it's tough. And um, he, I'm like, what are you going to do? Man, you, you putting your name out there? Yep. You got any calls? Nope. Next week, I said, how you doing? He goes, well, praise the Lord. Hello. I said, uh, anything? He goes, yeah. I actually got an, uh, an interview or two coming up. I said, good for you. We'll be praying for that. And then uh, about the next week or so, I said, uh, so what's going on? Well, I took this job, but that's not going to work. I'm going to end up taking this other job. And I said, I have to ask you a question. This is just my curiosity as a preacher. You've been going through the ringer. You lose your job. You don't know how you're going to make your livelihood, and you're trusting the Lord. You're praying. You're just doing what you're supposed to do. I said, i got to ask you a question. The job that you were dismissed from versus the job that you have now, which one do you like better? He goes, the new job. I said, now let me ask you another question personally. Did you make more money at your first job or the second job that God gave you? He goes, the second job. <laughs> we don't understand when we're going through the midst, but sometimes God has something that He's trying to get you to, a place that's better. Don't resist Him. Just say, God, Your will be done. And that takes all the pressure off of you. And puts it on our God. And He wants it. He wants that kind of pressure. Now Lord, we love You and what an awesome God You are. We thank You for texts like this that put our lives back into perspective. Now Lord, I do not know the hearts of each one here today, that you, but You do. You know who may have needed this today, or maybe they're going to need it this week or next year. But Lord, teach us Your ways. Now Lord, if there are some here that as we talked about justification, and they aren't saved, Lord, You want to save them, just work in their heart. Draw them to Yourself. Lord, we've shared Your Word. This is Your invitation. We ask You to, to please bless and work in our hearts. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Heads by and eyes closed.